All right. So today on American Conversations, underneath our Where Are the Bonhoeffers in this time of global crisis, we have with us in full disclosure a very dear friend, Reverend Paul Teske, who is a pastor emeritus and used to be a Navy chaplain, picked many of the uh, military chaplains on the team. And then he also uh, was reverend of a church in Westport, Connecticut. And I've known Paul and his wife for, I guess, almost 16, 17 years, something like that. Yeah. And Paul, welcome. welcome. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Yeah. So Greetings. a couple of, I guess it was a couple of months ago, I was thinking about where's the moral structure? Where are the moral voices in terms of what's going on? Because it just seems that everything's falling apart. It's not just, you know, here in America. Um, but it's taken, it's gone on steroids now because of the COVID crisis, the shutdown yeah, of the churches, sure. uh, yeah. critical race theory, upside down gender and everything else. And so Paul, where, where are the voices? Because you're, you are somebody who always speaks up. Well, I think there are three of them right here, aren't there? Three voices. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, look, where are the voices? Uh, you know, you, you mentioned Bonhoeffer, and I'd like to come back to that in a few minutes. But you know, I was thinking about the uh, Christian community in America. You know, there's about 330 million Americans, and in that number, there are approximately 70 million Catholics. All right, which is a plus 20, 22, or three percent of the population. There's 140 something million Protestants. I think there's like 141. And out of that number, there are about 30 to 35 million evangelicals. All right. So you, you take that large Christian community, there's a lot of people in that. And there's a lot of pulpits in that, both on the Catholic uh, and, and the uh, Protestant side. And, you know, COVID certainly made a dent on that, you know, as far as driving people out of the churches. But but the uh, pulpits were still maintained, and a lot of people went to Zoom. They were able to take their message out. So it's not that the message or the pulpits have not been utilized, even uh, in the midst of COVID, because they have been. And there, there's a sizable number of people. And just a little aside to that, you know, two years ago, this coming January, I started from scratch a social media ministry. And this year, we're going to reach about a million and a half people you know, worldwide. And it's just grown exponentially because a lot of people, you know, have turned into their, uh, you know, computers or, or iPhones and that, where right. normally they probably wouldn't invest as much time and interest. Now, having said that, there's a huge platform. So the question you ask me is, you know, where, where are the Bonhavers? Mm -hmm. And I just want to re refresh you for a moment. There's a great book out there by my dear friend, Eric Metaxas called Bonhaver. It's probably one of the best narratives on the life of Bonhaver that I've ever read. And it, it's, a, it's a lengthy book, as you know, and, you know, 600 pages, but it covers his life from the uh, the beginning to the end. Right. But what we have to remember about Bonhoeffer, even though he he was a he's a currently a sizable presence as, as far as his legacy goes. You know, during those early days when he wrote that book in I think 1937, it was published in Germany, The Cost of Discipleship. Right. You know, nobody really knew who he was outside of Germany. And he right. was writing it on the heels of a Hitler that was coming into power and, and knew that if the church was not, not going to speak out against this uh, this uh, presence, that they were going to lose the battle or spiritual battle. And, you know, there's another German theologian that's out there called Niemöller. And he, he made a, a comment 
post-World War II that was very important for us to hear even today. He said, when they came to arrest the socialists, you know, I wasn't a socialist. When they came to arrest the communists, I wasn't a communist. When they came to arrest the Jews, I wasn't a Jew. When they came to arrest the Catholics, I wasn't a Catholic. When they came to arrest me, there was no one left, so they took me. And I think that's kind of the, the place we're at today in this country, that a lot of people, whether they're in the pulpit or in the pew, that have their head buried in the sand because they're making an assumption that they're not going to be selected. Right. And I think if you take a global view in our country right now, where you see a certain amount of, uh, we'll call it tyranny, establishing itself and, and slowly eroding those rights that many, many, many generations held sacred, all right? The freedom of, of religion, the freedom of speech, the freedom of press, those kind of freedoms that we just held sacred that were really bonded to us in that in those uh, First Amendments, you know, when they were said they were our God-given rights. Well, those are slowly slipping away. And I think our culture, uh, to, a, to a great extent, including the clergy, have their head buried in the sand. Let's go back to Bonhaver. You know, Bonhaver saw this and allegedly, you know, was engaged in a plot uh, to overthrow Hitler. Uh, somebody finds a diary or something, and I can't remember the details, but this little group of guys, uh, people get arrested. And so right before the end of the war, I think about two weeks before the end, when Hitler, you know, gives up and kills himself, he has Bonhoeffer and, and this small group of guys uh, hung in their prison cell, all right? Mm-hmm. Now, at that, that was the end of Bonhoeffer. In fact, his parents didn't, did not even know he was dead. They were in, in um, uh, I think, in England at that point, if I'm not mistaken. But anyway, they hear the word he, over, over. And he worked with some of his siblings. Yeah. He okay. they, heard that, they heard that he was dead. But my point is that he didn't really become a presence or a voice uh, for 20 years until his voice, uh, his uh, book, The Cost of Discipleship, was printed in Eng- English probably in the 60s. And then he became known for what he did and who he was. All right. Now, he was, you know, his father was a doctor. You know, he came from an upper class community in, in Germany and he saw the erosion that was taking place under, under the uh, Nazis and, and eventually the. Uh, you know, the overtake uh, by, by Hitler and his squad. But by that point, you know, he, he, had, he, had, he and his group had not moved fast enough to do anything. So at the end, they think the best way is to assassinate Hitler, take him out, and that was their plan, all right? Now, look, before we get to that in this country, we have to come to terms with, with, with um, you know, making a realistic, honest observation of what's going on. And let's go back to the pulpits for a minute. I think a lot of clergy are afraid to speak out. I think yeah. for a number of reasons. What are, they, what are they afraid of? Are they afraid that they're going to get their, their... No, no, no. Here's what they're afraid of. You mentioned a while ago that I was, uh, you know, brought tried to bring chaplains into the Navy, which w- what I really did was I, I worked for the chief of chaplains for three years as a chaplain recruiter. I covered the Western 10 states. And my job was to interview and, and uh, screen chaplain candidates that were interested in becoming Navy chaplains. So whether they were a priest or a Protestant or a rabbi or an Orthodox priest, my job was to screen them and and to kind of feel them out before we started them in the process to see if they were the right cut for that kind of uh, ministry in the the military, right? Now, I interviewed about 800 clergy in those three years. Wow. And if there's a common denominator, there were two basic common denominators that I found with this group. And, you know, if you're a clergy person and you're listening to me, you know, this may sound a little insulting, but it, it's the truth. Most of the 
guys I interviewed were more concerned, you know, were afraid of their people. Let me let me put it this way. You know, Jesus said, you know, in I think in John chapter 12, that there were those that believed in him and wanted to follow him, but out of fear of man, the praise of man, they wouldn't follow him. And I think what, what he's saying there is look, we're more concerned about pleasing humankind than we are pleasing God. So when that happens, when we live our life for man and not God, we're gonna we're gonna make concessions and do things that we may not have done, you know, in our heart of hearts if we were given a chance. Going back to the clergy, I think clergy are afraid of their people because their people, you know, give them affirmation. They accept them in that role. And if you get a, you know, if you get a majority of people against you, that's a tipping point that's gonna throw you out the door. And so I think a lot of clergy were more afraid of their people, and 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 too often, you know they would not address those, what I call hot potato issues. You know, it's too, it's too uncomfortable. So let's just not go there. I'm not going to talk about this or that because it's going to make people in the pews uncomfortable. So they may give up, you know, they, they may talk about a number of things, but they're going to stay away from those hot button issues. That's one problem. The other problem is sometimes clergy, you know, just can't get along with people, believe it or not. And it's a lot easier to work for a commanding officer, uh, you know, one person than to work for you know a, a group of people that are voluntarily there in your church and you have to keep the masses you know somewhat uh, appeased otherwise they're going to turn on you all right and so i think those two issues one is that you know in, in one sense they're afraid of their people they don't want to say things that are too disruptive so they just don't say anything or uh, they really don't want to be there in the first place, and they're maybe looking for an exit strategy anyway. That's what I saw in the Navy. They thought some thought the Navy would be a, an escape, where they could still do ministry per se, but not have to answer to a board or you know to a you know some power cord in in the church or congregation. So let's just back up. I think clergy today are just not speaking out, even though they may not want to hold back, but they're afraid to. You know, and look, right now, we, we all understand if you if you take a, a prisoner of war, look at Vietnam, great example. They took the officers, put them in solitary confinement. They separated them out from each other, all right, and from the enlisted people. Why? Because if they could isolate you, they could break your spirit. If you go to a prison and, and, you, and you mess up, they put you in solitary confinement because when you're isolated and alone, they break your spirit. So what have they done to the churches over the last two years? They've isolated the people by not letting them even go to church. They've given them some Zoom capabilities and so on. But ultimately, the people are not able to go in there. So what's the end result? They're isolated. And what happens when you're isolated? Fear comes in. And so now we've got a whole culture out here that's that's completely isolated and living with this horrific fear of, of an unseen enemy. All right. Now, you know, that old adage divided, you know, we fall is true. United we stand, but divided we fall. The churches have been ultimately divided over this whole issue. And so I think clergy sometimes are looking to Uncle Sam to give them a, you know, a direction. They say, OK, mask, you know, don't gather together, uh, isolate yourself. And they just kind of go along as sheep. And it's sad. But it's or, such really well, sad. It's Go such ahead. poor leadership. Go ahead. I was going to say, um, it depends on what part of the country you're in. Obviously, in Texas, it's probably, I know it's much better. But in the Northeast, which I am frequently in, the churches have been infiltrated. They're no longer 
teaching the gospel. They're teaching Marxism, cultural Marxism, gay rights, you know, uh, everyone's a racist, global warming. I mean, so I see that. I mean, the Catholic Church, the Pope is obviously a Marxist, but in the Protestant Church, it's it's just as bad. I mean, there's infiltration. Well, you know, just go back to those numbers from you got 70 million mm -hmm. Catholics in the U.S., all right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, they have a nice Jesuit pope from Argentina who comes out of the mm -hmm. third world uh, theology, you know, uh, liberation. And, they're theology saving the Catholic Church. and so that that yeah. shaped his whole understanding of theology that now he juxtaposes onto this, you know, huge church worldwide. But in the mm -hmm. United States, you got 70 million. Now, the 140 million Protestants. All right. Mm -hmm. The 30, 35 million evangelicals are kind of somewhat towing the line as far as biblical truth and so on. Mm -hmm. The other major denominations have gone all over the place. And once you lose mm -hmm. your mooring, you know, then you have no message to offer. So how do we get that back? I mean, there, right. literally, there's no churches in the area where I am now that I can go to and feel comfortable. There's rainbow flags everywhere. They're yeah. talking about. I mean, so do you rebuild it? Do you start a new one? I mean, how do you rebuild? How do you fix that? Because it's a real problem. Well, look, you know, I've often said, as the head goes, so goes the body. All right. Uh -huh. So no matter how big, you know, the, the body of politic is, you know, the head is going to determine the, the direction. Now, the head of a church can be, you know, a bishop or it could be, a, you know, a, a senior pastor on a local level. But ultimately, wherever that pastor is, the, the body, the church is going to follow. And you're right. There are many, many Protestant denominations that have crossed over the line. They're not proclaiming the gospel, you know, and, and they're teaching everything but what's in the Bible. Not, but mm -hmm. on the other hand, you got some faithful, faithful people in each denomination. You know, sure. I don't know how people stay in denominations that just represent everything you stand against. But I think some people, you know, feel a sense of loyalty to that, that whatever denomination is. But they also feel a sense of I, if I leave, then what? So I'm going to continue to pound the truth. That's where Bonhoeffer was. Bonhoeffer was in a very liberal church in Europe, in, in, in Germany, but yet he understood that his theology was over here on one side, but the, the, the direction the country was going, it was completely adverse to everybody. You know, no Muller, that Lutheran pastor that I quoted a while ago when there was nobody left for me, to the Catholics, everybody was trying to appease Hitler. And at the end of the day, they were right. all locked up. That's right. You know, there were, I think I was in Dachau one time and I, I didn't realize this, there were, Two out of every three Catholic priests in Dachau were martyred. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just the six million Jews. You had 11 right. million other people that were killed, and many were clergy because they were resisting uh, the, the government, you know. So going back to your point, yeah, I got you. You know, you go to certain pockets in the U.S., whether it be the Northeast or the West Coast or, you know, other places, you're going to find some churches that really just in no way seem to represent Christianity in any way whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And your question was, is there any hope? I don't know if there's any hope or not. With God, there's always hope. But sure. it's going to take a major earthquake, a shaking up, or maybe revival to bring this country back to where it really needs to be. Because if we lose our God orientation in this country, you will lose the Constitution. Well, then I, I, let me take a step back. I, I think there is a Christian revival going on in many sectors of the country. And it's extremely hopeful, but it's not in the mainstream churches. So my real thought is, are they worth saving the traditions, the hymns, everything, or do you just go to uh, somewhere else? You know, so that, that's kind of what a lot of people are struggling with. 
Yeah, I think you rise above it. You, you look at it from God's perspective. He loves everybody. Everybody from God's perspective is worth saving. Now, when you juxtapose humanity in the midst of that theater, you're going to have a lot of issues and problems because we're all sinful and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. Now, there are pockets around the country. There are great moves of God. You know, if you go to a place in Florida, you enjoy there are different <laughs> you have great things going on, even in California. You know, there are some very strong churches out there that are proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ in the midst of a lot of adversity. And they don't let up because they're going to be true to God and, and not to man. But look, there, it, once you lose hope and despair sets in, then you throw in the towel. I'm never going well, to. I, I guess I'm, I'm, you know, I even started looking at some of the Eastern Orthodox churches, just trying to find a place that wasn't up in this region when I'm up in here where to go. Because, you know, just literally because you can't go to these con congregational churches or Lutheran or anything. So anyway, I'll leave that alone. Well, but, well, no, no, no. Look, the Orthodox, you know, have stayed true even mm -hmm. today, no matter where you're at. They are mm -hmm. absolutely on target. And I want to just share a little thought since you brought up the Orthodox. If mm -hmm. you think about um, Karl Marx, who was an atheist, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, he had no room for religion. So in 1917, when the communists took over Russia, the first thing they did was close every church, every monastery, every seminary. They were all closed mm -hmm. because there was no room for that. Now, it, when, when the Iron Curtain was set up, behind the Iron Curtain, every church and monastery and seminary was shut down. All right? Right. They weren't there. And then once the iron, once the wall fell in, in Berlin in 90 or thereabouts, what happened? Within 20 years, you had churches and monasteries and seminaries all over the place. You go to Russia today, it's it's the fastest yeah. growing renewal, re, spiritual renewal right. in all Russian Orthodox. It's of the Orthodox faith because that, that's their roots. And they understood no matter what government did to pound that out, there was enough of a flame there that when the crack opened, they they exploded. They exploded. There's there's a thousand yep. churches in Russia that are up right now, seminaries, monasteries. Oh, oh they're they're it's like going to Dothan, Alabama. There's one on every corner now. Sure. Well, you know it's what? Sure. Russia didn't have that. You know, they, they didn't have that after 1970. Yeah. But after 1990, a lot a lot of that is for Putin to maintain control, like the czars did. But I agree with you. It is a revival in many ways. And let me tell you another thing. I was in yeah. Hungary. I was in Budapest a few years ago, not two or three years ago. And I was at a, a World Congress for Family. And the parliament there had passed a law saying no abortion, no same-sex marriage in Hungary. I met with a woman in the parliament. And I said, well, how is that working out for you guys? And she said, well, the, the EU has said if we don't allow abortion and, and same-sex union, they're going to kick us out of the EU. All right. Now, mm -hmm. And I said, well, are you concerned about that? And she said, absolutely not. Let them kick us out. Then she said something very profound. She said, a thousand years ago under St. Stephen, the king, we became a Christian nation. And we've had our Christian roots for a thousand years in, in uh, Hungary. Then she went on to say something that was really interesting. She, she said, the communists were here for 70 plus years, and they tried to break our spirit. And it was all about class distinction. Then the Nazis came in for 10 years. It was all about race. And now we're fighting against the Western liberalism. And she said for 30 or 35 years, and she said, we didn't capitulate to the communists or the Nazis. We will not capitulate to Western liberalism. And I thought, wow, that's pretty powerful. And there was only two other mm -hmm. countries that I remember uh, that were in agreement with them. That was Poland and Slovenia. Mm -hmm. But out of the 28 EU countries, those three were holding the line because of their faith in Jesus Christ.
I was encouraged by that. Wouldn't you be? Sure. Yeah. So yeah. we need to come back to our Christian roots and declare the truth, the truth, and not let the, you know, the partial truth or the lie overtake us. We have to proclaim the truth. But look, a lot of pastors, a lot of clergy have lost sight of what the truth is. I, I don't mm -hmm. want to judge people. I can't judge anybody but myself. All right. I'm really careful about making statements like that. But, you know, if we just look around, as you were observing and, and, and commenting, that's exactly what seems to be going on. We need Bonhoeffers. We do need some Bonhoeffers. Well, we, we, need, we need people to understand what the teachings of Jesus are and the impact sure. that it has on society. I mean, all just, you need to do Jesus is, was not a conservative. It's called the Bible. Yeah. The teachings of Jesus are right here. And don't add to it. Don't take away from it. Just let it speak for itself. I was I was surprised um, in 2020 when I was covering some of the demonstrations, and um, I kept on watching the T-shirts. I like to see what the T-shirts are because you can identify what groups they're in. Yeah. And the um, the leftovers from the the weathermen from the 60s uh, and the SDS were showing up for the with the, their second or third generation, and they had revolution nothing less. And it was Bob Avakian, who's about, I don't know, late 70s now. He was an SDS weatherman. He's written a new constitution to replace the U.S. Constitution. I think it's called New Socialism. I, I, I read this thing. And it's, it basically talks about um, no private property, communism in the school, no private schools, all public schools. Um, and, it's, and, and then when he endorsed Biden... In August of 2020, he di he did it sort of sort of bittersweet. He said it's basically endorsing Biden gets him closer to where he where he thinks that the country should be. But their 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 T-shirts are are full of hate. It's revolution, nothing else. And they they were in Baltimore, Ferguson before they got to Minneapolis. They have 20 chapters. They mixed with the Black Lives uh, Matters demonstrations, and half of America didn't even realize who was who. Who was on the street with them when they were doing some of the demonstrations? And because this guy doesn't believe in God, and neither do the people around him. Yeah, well, but I, they're following him. Well, you know, people are always looking for a shepherd. They're looking for somebody to follow. You know, and and you know, that's just humanity. People like to follow. There are very few shepherds or leaders. That's you know? true. There's a lot of wannabe. But, yeah. you know, it's like Mark Twain said, you know, if you turn around, nobody's behind you. You're just on a walk. You're not leading anybody, right? <laughs> so leaders, you know, there's an innateness to them that, that just rises up. And you can't, you know, I, you know, you said your son's, I think your son is at West Point, right? You know, when you're, when you're in the military school, whether West Point, Coast Guard Academy, Naval Academy, or Air Force Academy, you know, you're there because they've already decided in, to some degree that you have some real leadership capability. It's not your intellect. It's not your, you know, athletic prowess. It's are you able to lead? Because if you're going to be an officer, you know, the, the requirement's going to be on you to lead, you know, and there's no exception. And those that can't lead don't don't last. That's just the reality. But I think people are looking for leaders all the time, you know, and, and look, I where the bond hafers, they're out there. There are young Turks, men and women out there that are rising up and they have the capacity to lead and they will come to the top. The cream will always rise to the top. And, you know, the, the, the corrupt system can try to pound it down and beat it out, but you cannot stop it. Look at King David. 
here was a guy anointed when he was 12 or so to be king. And every, the, you know, the kitchen sink was thrown at this man right, right and left daily. And he rose up through the Goliaths that were around him. And because when God, you know, anoints somebody to lead, they're going to lead and they're going to rise up. You know, I like what Eisenhower, you know, remember Eisenhower and Khrushchev had that conversation. And he said, you know, we may not be able to take you out now, but we're going to take your children, your grandchildren out. Mm-hmm. What did he mean by that? He understood that he wasn't going to take them by, by military force. He was going to take them through the academia. He was right. going to get into the school system and warp their minds, which is being done right now, and create the little products of socialism slash communism that were going to rise up. It didn't happen overnight. It's happened with 40 or 50 years of what? Education. And look, well, not, not only that, but the most vulnerable in the classroom. And what are they being taught? What are they being taught? You mentioned critical race theory and that, you know, they're just stripping history and, 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 you know, and, and just not dealing with the truth. You know? Well, they're also, they're also insulting history too, because they're acting. Yeah. But why do we as a nation give hearty approval to this? It's because we've got generation after generation of people now that believe this is the way to go. It's not the way I was taught. I'm sure it's not the way you were taught. No. No, no. I, I mean, I, I never, I was, it never would have crossed any dinner table conversation or any conversation with my parents that we were to judge anyone by the color of their skin, yeah, nor sure. were we to judge anyone for whether or not they were a man or a woman. Okay. Yeah. Women, women were equal at, at my dining room table when I was a kid yeah. because my bro- my father had four sisters and they were all older. I think one was younger, but I mean, it was, he had strong influence in his family. So he respected women. But I think that, you know, th- there's just such a brokenness in term in terms of, I mean, it's upside down. It's parallel worlds in a lot You're of right. ways. You're totally right. Yeah. You know, and look, you know, every day my prayer is for God to write, to, I call write the ship. You know, when the ship's listing and moving, everything is going to fall. Yeah. God has the capacity to make it come back where it belongs, where, where it needs to be, where it belongs. And I, and I believe, look, I, I don't think God has turned his back on this nation. I think he's looking to and fro. He's just waiting for those people. You know, I just want to share one little thing. If you look at Genesis chapter six, God was so fed up with humanity. It said the world was rotten to the core. It was I think we're there. The I think we're there, Paul. All right. Well, what, what, what? So God said, I'm going to destroy everything. All life, it's gone. And then it says he saw Noah. And because of one man, God spared the world. And I think that what God is looking for, he's looking for that Noah in our generation that's going to be the tipping point to bring us back to where we need to be. I was sharing this with somebody the other day, and they said, well, who's that Noah? And I said, I don't know, but I guarantee you God will find Noah, and because that one man or woman, God's going to tip the scale back to where it needs to go. I just hope that, I just hope that as we close this out, I hope, I hope that we have less fear in this country because I, I when when i see when i see the fauci's of the world targeting the kids like predators do well, for, these, for these shots it makes my head spin because now, if, this is guinea know, pig if you know, who, if you know who you are if you're grounded in who you are yeah that will carry you a long way but let me show you look god does not want us fearful perfect love cast out what fear Fear is not of God. Love is. All right. Love, security, not fear. Peace. All right. You want peace, not anxiety, not worry, not fretting. Peace. You don't want despair. 
You want hope, all right? You don't want prolonged sadness. You want joy. You don't want doubt. You want faith. And all of these things are what God wants to give us. He wants to take our faith to another level to get rid of the doubt. Hope, get rid of the despair. Love, get rid of the fear, all right? Joy, get rid of the sadness. That's what God wants to pour out. And I think our nation, when it huddles in its, in its isolation, slides into those holes of despair and, and, and doubt and, and, and fear and anxiety and fretting and worry and sadness. And it debilitates. It cripples us individually and collectively as a, as a people. But you, that's, none of those things are of God. And so my message is always that be a positive, be hopeful. You know, not right. No, and, I, and I agree with you on that. But I think that the homeland here has turned into sort of a war well, sure zone. It has. Sure, and, but, and that's, but I tell you what, and, and that's, that's good people. The intention people to, to tip this thing and bring it back to where it needs to be. It yeah. can do. It can happen. I don't think. I don't think God's thrown up his hands and said, "Hey, I'm done with you guys." God is just looking for Noah. He's, He's looking, looking for, for a few Noah. people. All right, so Paul, the one you're looking for, he's out there. Somewhere there's a Bonhoeffer in this country. Okay, I want you to come back again, okay? When you find Noah, when you find Bonhoeffer, I want you to come back because I want want you to keep sending people my way because I want to hear those voices. Hey, listen, Christine, maybe his name's not Noah. Maybe her name is Christine. Oh, stop it. (laughs) Oh, let me stop it. Stop it. We're just, we're offering the, the space here for hey, listen, I, I'm here. You know, I'm, I'm here to help you in any way I can. Okay. I know that. I know you that. Call, I'm here. I know. And thank we you thank so you. Thank and you. I, I'm honored that you thought that enough to have me on your, on your um, broadcast. So thank, thank you. you. Okay. All right. All right.